Well, Mohammed was 10 years old when the war in Afghanistan escalated. The Taliban were actually hiding out in the mountains above his village, and they were fighting the Northern Alliance that was in his village, and the two would meet on the road where he lived. Mohammed lived with uh, his, his grandmom and his uncle and his younger sister there. His dad had died. His mom had taken the other five kids to Pakistan and intended to bring Mohammed and his younger sister to them in Pakistan when it got safer, but it never got safer. And Mohammed told me he remembers hiding in closets as the war escalated outside his house, the machine gun fire, the rockets going off. In fact, his eardrums were burst. His sister still had hearing problems, both of them, as a result. The percussive sounds coming, ripping through their hideout. So the fighting intensified so much that his uncle and the neighbors around decided to flee their homes, knowing it may mean they could never come back. One dark night, Mo remembers climbing on a bus with his grandmother and uncle and his neighbors to go across the war-torn countryside to Kabul, an hour away. Only the Taliban blocked them from being able to go. And so what should have been an hour drive to Kabul ended up being a 48-hour trek through the craggy mountains above his village where Osama bin Laden would one day hide out. He remembers being put on a horse with his sister, making their way slowly to Kabul. Eventually, they made it across the Pakistan border where he rejoined his mom and siblings. They lived in a very small room with no air conditioning. Uh, he remembers it being intensely hot, so much so that all of his siblings had to crowd on the floor around one fan. There was no shower. The Pakistanis were not excited about Afghan refugees. And as a result, uh, the often corrupt police were not kind to them. They couldn't work. Mo recalls his brother had to go out and try to sell fruit on the street just to provide food for all the kids. And he remembers his brother coming back beaten up when the police would take his money and beat him knowing he couldn't do anything about it. A friend of Mo's mom was a translator who had a connection to America. In hopes of making a life for her children, she applied and received refugee status. They would be moving to Austin, Texas to start a new life. The only problem, none of them spoke English. They had no money, no transportation, just the clothes on their back. They moved into a, a neighborhood in, off Rutland, uh, where Gateway actually had our first uh, offices 10, 15 years ago. Uh, it's not a nice neighborhood. <laughs> Bars on the windows, drug trafficking all around. But Mo said it was amazing to him. He'd never seen so many lights and shops and glitz and glamour. He said it was like Vegas overwhelming his young eyes. And they were grateful. Most said a church in Austin came to their aid and provided furniture and necessities and helped his mom get a job cleaning in a hotel in downtown Austin. Helped them with shopping, helped them with paperwork. But it was still hard. His mom and brother had to work almost nonstop, struggling to learn English. And without any public transportation, his mom had to get up at 4 a.m. to take buses for three hours to get downtown uh, to work in house cleaning for $6 an hour, and then ride three hours back. Six hours of transportation. His brother rode his bike a couple of hours each day 
uh, each way to wash cars every day. And by the way, that's common. Uh, an Iranian family, refugee family here, some who got baptized, uh, our last baptism, told me that it took them three hours to get to church. So we were able to help arrange rides because we don't have public transportation really. But what was hardest, Mo said, was not learning the language or, or the struggles of work. It was Burnett Middle School trying to understand why people called him Osama and terrorists. He didn't know who Osama bin Laden was. He didn't know what a terrorist was. Slowly he learned, and he learned how to joke it off, but it did hurt. And yet despite all the difficulties, when I said to Mo, you know, Mo, I believe that God spared you and he brought you here because he loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And Mo said to me, yes, we feel very blessed. And Mo is a friend of mine. I play soccer with him. He plays on my indoor team. He graduated from Conley High School after, since coming here 10 years ago. His sister's in nursing school. He started his own business. It's now in four locations. And uh, he's been telling me he's going to come check out our church. Maybe he's here today. Hopefully so. But that's what it's like to come to Austin as a refugee, only now it's even harder. A refugee gets five months of food stamps and Medicaid for eight months, for which they're very grateful, but then they're on their own. And most refugees come with nothing. They don't speak English, they have no transportation, no medical or dental care, no furniture, no winter clothes, no computer or access to one. Have you ever tried to apply for a job these days without a computer? I remember a Gateway volunteer telling me uh, how she went to help uh, a woman from the Congo, a refugee woman, grocery shop for the first time. And the woman was so stunned by all that she saw, she just stood there frozen. She had no idea where to find what she needed. And you know, if you've never lived in a foreign country, I, I've lived in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language, I was studying the language for a year. It's stressful. Trying to figure out where do you go and how do you get things done and you can't even speak. And we had resources. I can't imagine if you had no resources. And the question we're asking as followers of Jesus is not whether we should halt immigration or allow more immigration. By the way, Jesus' followers can differ on that. We can differ on that. And remember here at Gateway, we're 50-50 Republican-Democrat. You know, which in this environment is a little like asking cats and dogs to live together in harmony, right? But you know what's amazing? You are. You know, we're inviting the culture to come and explore faith. And so we come from different perspectives. But what we're finding is a love and a faith in a God who transcends all of that and unites us despite our differences. And so what we are asking in this series is not questions of immigration. It's a question of, should we care about refugees who are already here among us? There are 12,000 already here in Austin. And should we care? And how does that relate to this Christmas season? Well, maybe you've never thought about it, but the Christmas story involves refugees from every angle. <laughs> As I said last week, you know, Christmas, a refugee is someone who, who is displaced from their rightful home due to evil. And Jesus came from his rightful home, from heaven, because of the evils of this world. He was born into poverty among an oppressed minority group. He identified with the sufferings and the brokenness of humanity. And he claimed to demonstrate God's love for every human that he created. 
And he did it so that every willing human could be set free from evil's stranglehold. To forgive us, to set us right with God, to bring us safely home to God as citizens of heaven. For every nation, every nation on earth that he created. And you know, if you have put your trust in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven, which means you are a foreigner here. God reminds us of that, of all those who have faith in him. Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. That's all of the, his heroes of faith. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that's why God's not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a city for them. You know, that's, that's worth pondering uh, in this season. Do you see yourself as a foreigner here on earth just passing through? And your real home is with God in heaven. Or is this life really all you're hoping for? All you're trying to grab hold of and hang on to? Because that determines a lot about how you live, if you think about it. When we are foreigners knowing our true home is coming, it allows us to live here uh, an all-out, radical, risk-taking, generous, life-giving, loving, sacrificial life. That's what Jesus, how Jesus lived among us. But Jesus was not just a metaphorical refugee. Jesus was a literal refugee that first Christmas. Jesus came identifying with refugees. Have you ever thought about that? You know, Matthew tells us in, in Matthew 2 where, where Ross uh, read earlier. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. King Herod is a real king. It's a real story. This is not myth. This is history. About that time, some wise men from, the e from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now, these, these wise men, or, or magi, were likely from Persia or maybe India, astrologers, and they saw a sign in the stars that the king of kings was born to the Jewish people. And again, God makes it clear from the very beginning who he calls to come worship this newborn king, that he's doing this for all the nations, not just for the Jewish people, not just for American Christians, but for all people of all nations. And I hope you realize that, Gateway, that God is bringing the nations right here among us. Have you thought about why? Do you realize that? Well, Matthew goes on in verse 3 and says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for that's what the prophet Micah wrote. See, it was long foretold about this Messiah. So it was known where he was going to be born. Micah said, you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. And then he said, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. <laughs> now, in case you don't know, Herod did not 
want to worship the king of kings. He wanted to kill him. Herod was a madman. Herod was a tyrant, much like the tyrants who are causing the greatest human, human crisis that we've ever faced. There are more people displaced from their homes right now than ever in human history. 65 million people have had to flee their homes, like my friend Mohammed. Half of them, over 30 million, are children. In the first century, the historian Josephus wrote this about Herod. Herod was a violent and bold man a ver and very desirous of acting tyrannically. A man of great barbarity toward all men equally and a slave to his passions. Herod murdered many people, including his two sons. He murdered his own two sons. Why? For fear that they might take his security, his throne. And so Herod's plan was not to worship this Messiah king, but to flush him out using these magi and to kill him. And note something here. Fear is not a tactic of God. You know, 1 John 4 says, God's perfect love casts out all fear. And so we have to be very careful that we don't get manipulated by fear. Because fear works, right? Fear sells. You know, you're, you're watching some sitcom on, on TV, right? Just relaxing. And they want you to watch the 10 o'clock news. So what do they say? Things like, a new odorless, tasteless gas has been found in homes in Austin. Find out how your kids might die. News at 10. You watch. Fear works. Fear sells. And fear motivated Herod. But we can't be those who get manipulated by fear. We must be led by the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. And so the Magi come to Jerusalem. And they must have been important because they got a meeting with, with, with King Herod. Now, they don't know exactly where to go. They had seen the sign of this king of kings for all the nations born to the Jews. They set out, they go to Jerusalem, and they ask, and Herod knew that the king of kings was the Messiah, and so Herod asked the religious scholars, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, the prophet, Messiah, uh, the prophet Micah said in Bethlehem, and so he sends the wise men to Bethlehem to find Jesus. Now, a uh, little trivia question here. How many wise men were there? Shout it out. No. No. We don't know. And, and here's where we've got to be careful and actually read the Bible rather than just follow tradition. The Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. It says there were three gifts brought. So we kind of assume three wise men or three kings. And we sing, we three kings of Orient are, right? Because... Uh, we undetermined number of kings would not make good lyrics, right? So, you know, we, but we have to actually study what the Bible says. And, and all our manger scenes, if you drive around the neighborhoods, all the manger scenes have three kings, right? Okay, spoiler alert. The, the wise men, no matter how many, they didn't come to the manger. <laughs> they didn't come to the manger the night of Jesus' birth. That, again, is our tradition, but it's not what the Bible says. It says they actually came one or two years later. So here's what it says. The Magi, so they head to Bethlehem, and this star appears again over the horizon over a house. And it says, when they saw the star, picking up in Matthew, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill every boy in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and apparently Joseph just set up shop there in his hometown, started doing carpentry, because they lived there for one or two years. Then the Magi came. So they had seen the sign in the stars and set out. It took them a, couple, a year or two to get there. They come to Herod, and then Herod, because of his fear, he has every boy under two years old murdered based on when the Magi saw the star. So Jesus' family fled to Egypt and lived there for one to two years as refugees in Egypt until Herod died. Do you ever think about that? That the Christmas story is a story of a refugee child named Jesus? <laughs> Had to run from his life from an evil tyrant and live as a foreigner in the land of Egypt. Why does God so identify with a refugee, with a foreigner? Why did he, why did he have Israel go to Egypt as foreigners before leading them out and keep telling them, care about foreigners? Because, see, refugees or foreigners living in a foreign land are uniquely vulnerable to the evils of this world. And God knows that, and he cares. And in that vulnerability, evil can drive them to do evil, or his church can demonstrate how he feels about them, demonstrate the love of God, the grace of God, and help them follow God. And do you realize that? Because God makes it very clear over and over again in Scripture that he cares about the widow and the orphan and the refugee, the foreigner living among us, and he wants us to care as much as he does. Last week I showed you some passages. Let me show you a few more. Leviticus 19.34, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. So Israel was to treat them as equal citizens. Love them as much as we love ourselves. Now think about how much we love ourselves. How concerned we are for our safety. Are we that concerned for the safety of refugees living among us? How concerned we are for food and good provision. Are we that concerned for their food and good provision? Deuteronomy 10, 18. God, it says, God ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you must also show love to foreigners. Have you shown love to foreigners living among you, offering food and clothing or care or justice? You know, the truth is you may have without realizing it. Because that's what God is doing through us as a church. When we all participate together, when we give together, when we serve together, God is using us together to do what he's commanded. Through our food pantry and our garden and our refugee network and, and life groups and, and, and pooling our resources and giving together. And when that, the church does that, it's powerful. 
Allianz came up to me uh, right here after a service about two years ago. Um, he's a refugee from Burundi, Africa, right next to Rwanda. And I asked him to write down his story. I would have never guessed what this uh, uh, young 20-year-old refugee had been through. He said, my father is a pastor and my mother is a nurse. I'm the oldest of five children. We lived in a nice house. I grew up in a happy Christian home in Burundi. I was the leader of a student group in my high school. We didn't agree with some of the government's policies. So I was arrested by the Burundi secret police. I refused to change my position. So I was tortured by the police. I was not given food or water. I was beaten and shocked with electricity. If I passed out, they woke me up to beat me again. After five days, they thought I was dead. They dumped me on the banks of Lake Rusisi so that crocodiles would eat me. A man found me and contacted my father. And after my family helped me get better, I escaped to Uganda. But the Burundi secret police chased me down in Uganda and tried to kill me there. My family raised enough money for me to come to America on a student visa. Yes was the only English word I knew. When I got to Tennessee, the only man I knew in America said he had been willing to help me get there, but I couldn't live with him. I had to leave after two days. A man from Burundi who lives in Austin said I could come there. After two months, though, I had to leave. I had nowhere to go. I lived with no food, blankets, toilet paper, heat, or air conditioning. Another man gave me a roof over my head, but I was hungry and cold in the winter and hot and hungry in the summer. But I was safe. I started going to church where I met Joni Stewart. She became my American mama. She brought me to Gateway's food pantry on Wednesdays so I could have food and soap and basic toiletries. I started coming to Gateway North for the Sunday services. Then I joined a life group and I started to serve in Next Gen doing tech. Sarah Alamush invited me to Gateway Central. I really like it at Central. What's wrong with North? <laughs> Come on, Allianz. It's younger Central. <laughs> Gateway Church has continued to help me. My work permit expired, and a new one got lost in the mail. It took six months to get a permit. During that six months, I had no right to work and no legal right for benefits or services. Gateway Church helped me with my rent through the Benevolence Fund. Lawyers helped me get another permit. God sent people to help me with every need. Now I'm more established, and I've been able to help refugees from Congo, Burundi, and Rwanda. I know their pain and fear. I know what they need. One day I hope to open an orphanage to help children. For now I plan to finish my degree in computer science. It's by the grace and mercy of God that I'm still alive, safe and healthy, and will live the rest of my life for him. Thank you so much, Gateway Church, for faithfully serving God and those in need, including me. Yeah. You know, I, I'm so proud of our church. You know, and for those who give regularly and serve together so that we could help Joni and James, who are sitting right over here, who really uh, came alongside Alliance and, and, and help be the hands and feet of God to him in this time of need. God wants us to do this. He says in Leviticus 19, Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. 
I am the Lord your God. In other words, he tells his people, give some of the surplus to the refugee, to the foreigner. And maybe you don't know this, but 10% of every dollar that comes into Gateway goes back out uh, to provide through benevolence and, and our different compassion ministries so that we could help people like Ali Ants all throughout the year. But God also asked his people to take up a special offering. Take a look at this, Deuteronomy 26. Every third year, you're to make an offering, a special tithe of your crops. In this year of the special tithe, you are to give your tithes to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows, so they will have enough to eat in your town. That's exactly what we're doing here at year end. Here at, here at Christmas time, as we're reflecting on how Christmas is all about refugees. And we, as spiritual refugees, have been blessed by God. And so what we are doing is we're saying everything above what we normally give to keep the ministries of Gateway going. So we can help, you know, one another and, and Allianz and others all throughout the year. But everything above and beyond that is going to this refugee crisis. Because Jesus was a refugee and God wants us to love and protect the refugees among us. Psalm 146, the Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows. And you know... In the nation of Israel, when they failed to do this, when they started to neglect and mistreat foreigners, it was one of the reasons God was so upset with them. Ezekiel 22 says, Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed among you. Even common people oppress the poor and rob the needy and deprive foreigners of justice. God says, I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone who would stand in the gap, but I found no one. God looks for those who will stand in the gap. Those who will care for the oppressed and the poor, the foreigner, the refugee. He looks at us. And will he find people who will stand in the gap? People who will act, who will care, who will pray, who will give generously, who will do something about the greatest humanitarian crisis that we've ever experienced. More displaced people than ever. Now, many of you have and it's awesome to see what God's doing through you. You know, we've been involved serving the refugee community here in Austin for, for well over a decade. And you can get involved serving. Go to gatewaychurch.com refugee, and you can see all the ways that you can get involved serving. You know, one of the things we, we did uh, about 10 years ago is we hosted a Thanksgiving dinner over in our garage for refugees. And that's where I met John and Tia Monger. John Monger had come to faith in Christ in Bhutan, and because of that, he was tortured and kicked out of his country. See, there's not freedom of religion everywhere like we experience. You're not free to choose. And he was sent to a Nepalese uh, refugee camp, and then they were re, uh, uh, re, uh, what do you call it, <laughs> moved to here in Austin. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't find the word. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and we met John and Tia at our Thanksgiving dinner and found out that they are serving many refugees from Burundi and from Nepal. And so Gateway, we decided to come alongside them and, and help with clothing and transportation and donating furniture and cookers and help families move in and playing soccer with them and sharing God's love. And as time went on, uh, John and Tia led so many Bhutanese Nepalese to faith, they started a church. And John was working full time, but the church was growing so much that we decided with our offerings and that part of that 10% that goes out to help John go full time. And today his church has grown to 
somewhere between 250 to 300 Nepalese Bhutanese who serve 400 refugees every year. Isn't that amazing? Because of you guys. John started a, a, a Bible school that I got to teach in uh, this summer, and through that, He's helped to start 225 Nepalese Bhutanese churches across America. 225 that are serving thousands of refugees all across America. Did you realize that when you gave to Gateway, you are a part of doing that? See, there's so many things that we're doing together as the hands and feet of God. Gloria McPherson uh, and several other doctors at Gateway started serving alongside John and Tia, serving these these Bhutanese Nepalese refugees, and they saw the incredible medical needs. So they started the Hope Medical Clinic, providing free medical and dental to these families. And then one Sunday, I'm out playing soccer with Rick Zamora, who goes to Gateway, and he stops me in the middle of playing soccer, and he said, hey, I, I need to talk to you. I think God wants me to leave my job and start something for these kids that I'm, that I'm serving, uh, uh, these refugee kids. Listen to what they're now doing. Watch this video. When uh, some of these refugee families get here, they, they know very little to no people at all. You know, so they're, they're kind of left on their own uh, with very little English. They're new to the, the States and uh, they have very little knowledge of, of, you know, of anyone or they, some of them don't even have any friends. My name is Rig Zamora, and I'm the program director for United Christian Athletes. And our purpose here is to walk alongside these kids, and we use soccer to, to play with them after school, and uh, we form relationships this way. Because many of them have zero friends when they get here, you know, so they tend to be isolated and uh, and be on their own, you know. So we come alongside and form a unity here, you know, with the other kids you know, with American kids. And that's, that's really our, our, you know, a foundation of what we do in our ministry. And then we come alongside them and, and in the process of all of it, we study the Bible with them on a weekly basis. There were only a few kids when I first got here, uh, but soccer kind of, you know, united so many different people groups and so many different children that normally would never play together. You know, so I took an opportunity, you know, to kind of form a program to where, you know, kids that didn't even talk or speak the same language were now playing with each other and forming relationships. I feel one of the, the, the best things in the world here is when I go door to door, you know, and, and go get them. You know, just pure joy, you know, when they're like playing on this field. Ultimately, this isn't the only area that the refugees live in. You know, there are multiple areas in Austin, and we're trying to expand out to those communities as well and reach those kids and their families and, uh, you know, serve them and love them like we're doing here. And, and we need help to do it. We need people with, uh, with, with talents and gifts and, uh, you know, that are willing to serve these people as well. My name is Gloria McPherson. I go to Gateway Church and I lead the Hope Clinic. Hope Clinic started when I saw a need uh, for refugees to more easily access health care. What we do is try to remove as many obstacles as we can, whether they be financial, cultural, or language barriers. We see people and we treat them with dignity, with compassion. 
we give them individual attention. Hope Clinic is primarily funded by a couple of churches, uh, including Gateway Church. That funding goes to pay uh, rent, medicines, medical supplies, and blood tests, among other things. Without Hope Clinic, um, a lot of these patients would end up in the emergency room, and they um, end up with ginormous medical bills. My name is Issam Qatar. I'm 55 years old. I'm from Baghdad, Iraq. I'm a senior doctor of family medicine specialist. I came here to the United States with my family. I'm living in Austin since uh, 2014. I met a great woman, Gloria, which is the physician assistant for this clinic. They uh, helped me in prescribing many medication that I cannot buy from a pharmacy because they are very expensive. So I got all what I need to assist, to help my health free. That's why I decided and I told Gloria that I'm ready to work as a volunteer here to help all people who they don't speak English. And I also am a physician, actually I'm a physician, so I know all the medical terms. I feel very happy when I offer my uh, abilities to do some help for other people. Hope Clinic is currently operated 100% by volunteers, and volunteers have taken it as far as they can, and at this point, in order to take it to the next step, we need a part-time staff person. We could see more, we could help more, um, and we just need your support. Isn't that cool? Way to go. You didn't realize all that we're doing together all throughout the year, right? But there's so much more that we can help them do here locally, just right here at Christmas, as we give above and beyond what we normally do. Uh, we're going to start our offering now, and, and let me just say again, as we always do, if you are new here, if you're checking out faith, we don't want you to feel any pressure to give. This service is really our gift to you. Um, the offering is really for those of us who call Gateway our church home. And, and let me just say that uh, here at year end, you know, like I said, we are in the midst of the, the greatest humanitarian crisis. More displaced people from their homes ever than have been in the history of humanity. And, and we want to partner. If you weren't here last week, we talked about um, how we're going to partner globally with World Relief that's working through local churches in, in Jordan and Lebanon to serve in refugee camps there. And we talked about how $400 provides one child for a whole year, you know, with a, with a lot of the necessities that they need. If you didn't see that, go watch last week's message. And then here locally, here at your end, we want to help Hope Clinic and, and UCA uh, expand to be able to serve a thousand refugees locally. So we're praying that we could support 900 refugees globally and a thousand refugees, almost 2,000 refugees total here at year end. And so I want to just encourage you, you know, as you plan your year end giving, you know, to, to do what you normally do so we can keep the, this ongoing ministry happening in, in all over our city, but also let's be generous. Let's go above and beyond. 
And let's make a difference for those in need, for refugees in need in this season. And let me ask one other thing. If you would, you know, normally um, we do our year-end giving like December 31st, about 11.59, right? I want to ask you, if you would, to consider doing it this week. By December 18th. And here's why. I would love to stand up here Christmas Eve when we invite so many new people and say, this entire Christmas offering is going to refugees. And if you'll, if you'll plan ahead and, and try, to, try to do your year in giving early, I think that will allow us to do that, okay? Well, as the band sings this song, I want us to just, this is kind of our anthem for this series. And I want us to just think about how we can be the light of Christ to a world in need at this Christmas. And I'll come up and close this in just a minute.